Boker Tov, good morning. Welcome to our Aliyah day. Good to have everyone with me this morning. Baruch Hashem. <clears throat> We're going to dive right in this morning to the third Aliyah of the day. Or excuse me, of the week, I should say. The third Aliyah of the week for Parasha Tazria. And uh, as I said, we're going to be speaking here about uh, bringing out some insights with respect to the leper Messiah, Baruch Hashem. So, <clears throat> the third Aliyah. Hope you're having a great day so far. Hope your day uh, is an amazing day for the rest of the day. So, uh, we are going to be in the book of uh, Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, chapter 13, Beginning in verse 18, that's where we begin the third Aliyah. If you have the art scroll Humash, we are going to be uh, on page 613 or 612 if you're reading in the Hebrew. So the third Aliyah is pretty short, so we're just going to read it and get right to our insights. So it says, if the flesh will have had an inflammation on its skin and it will have healed, and on the place of the inflammation, there will be a white sais or a white baharis streaked with red. It shall be shown to the Kohen. The Kohen shall look and behold, its appearance is lower than the skin and its hair has turned white. The Kohen shall declare him contaminated. It is a zarat affliction that erupted on the inflammation. But if the Kohen looks at it and behold, there is no white hair in it, and it is not lower than the skin, and it is dim, the Kohen shall quarantine it for seven-day period. If it spreads on the skin, the Kohen shall declare him contaminated. It is an affliction. But if the Baharats remain in its place without spreading, it is the scarring of the inflammation. The Kohen shall declare him pure. So that's the end of the third Aliyah, as I said, kind of short, but it gives us some time to discuss some insights, some things that we got left on the um, proverbial uh, table, so to speak. So an insight from yesterday's Aliyah, from verse 13, it says, having turned completely white. So this has to do, this comment from Rabbi Monk has to do with the timing or the coming of the Mashiach, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, we always want to know, or at least want to think about the Mashiach coming, etc. So it says, many hypotheses have been put forward to explain the reason behind this law. I should point out, by the way, because I just said we always want to know or think about the Mashiach coming. It is actually prohibited by Jewish law to make a prediction about the coming of the Mashiach. It's actually uh, against Jewish law to do that. So we don't do it. Anybody who has tried to do that in the uh, other religious faiths, they have all, every one of them, come to ruin. Every single one. No one's ever been right. No one will ever be right. So anyway, I digress. So it says, perhaps a glimpse of the truth can be gained from the conclusion drawn by the Talmud in Sanhedrin 97a. Rabbi Yitzhak is quoted there as saying that the Messiah will come only after the governments of the world become totally heretical. If that were the case, then we should expect him soon, right? Baruch Hashem, maybe so. In support of that opinion, Rabbah points to our verse, Kulo hafach lavan hatahor hu, having turned completely white, it is pure. 
if the white area covers as much as 99% of the body, the person is declared contaminated. But as soon as the affliction reaches its ultimate climax and covers the entire body, it becomes pure. This law is consistent. So that there's a little bit, that's, that seems strange, right? Because we're talking about uh, yesterday how these, we're not dealing here with uh, medical issues. And this is a clear indication of it because you can say, well, if you have an, uh, an affliction uh, that's on part of your body, it's in, an impurity. However, if it covers your entire body, it's pure. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Because that would, if you happen to have a rash medically, uh, and it's a, confined to a small part of your body, that's considered, uh, you know, manageable, something you have to deal with. But if it covers your entire body, that's systemic and considered very bad. You would be considered uh, an acute case. But it's not the situation here, which indicates to us this is not a medical issue. We're dealing here with spiritual principles. So it says, and it, it, as we talk about the... The leper messiah, I want to point out that the leper messiah is covered in leprosy, which means that he's pure. So it says, this law is consistent with the idea expressed in the Torah in various ways. God's salvation is closest to man when his ordeal reaches its greatest intensity. That's a beautiful and comforting thought, isn't it? When we're going through the, 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 the climax of whatever struggle we happen to be going through, that's when we know that Hashem is closest to us. When we're going through that particular, uh, you know, intense struggle. It is then that the turning point in his destiny, he writes, it's, it's at that point that, that, that it occurs, the turning point occurs. We noted this in the story of Joseph and the account of the Jews in Egypt. So at the greatest point of our suffering, whether it be Joseph or the story of Egypt, at the moment of the climax of our suffering, that's when the turning point comes. So the point is, point is here, no pun intended, that when we are seeing such blasphemy in the world, when we're seeing uh, governments become heretical, we know that the Mashiach must be coming. Why? Because at our greatest trouble, that's when the Mashiach, that's when deliverance comes. So it says, our sages deduce that a similar situation must exist in the spheres of the Spirit. They tell us that the Messiah will come only in a generation that is Kulo, Zaka, O Kulo, Ha, Yav. Totally deserving or, or totally guilty. Sanhedrin 98a. So the Mashiach is going to come. Some people think the Mashiach will come when there is calamity and sin and debauchery and the world is just in a mess. True could happen, but the Mashiach could also come in an environment where there is great righteousness, which is one of the reasons why Judaism strives to bring all Jews into observance of the Torah law. There's a belief that if all Jews would just keep the Shabbat twice consecutively, that the Mashiach would return, which is a really sad uh, concept if you think about it. It means that at no time have we kept, have all Jews kept the Shabbat twice in a row. So we have, th this brings me to another thought, that we have a responsibility to bring tikkun to the world. We have a responsibility to 
to try to engage the world and to draw them into Torah law. The reason that, that I mean, let me just tell you something, that you go to some of these uh, places in, in the United States, some third world countries, and you see everything's a mess. Why is it a mess? There's no Torah. And in some places, both in the United States and in some countries, you have churches on every street corner. Some of the place, some of the some of the countries in the world that have the highest murder rate, that they have the highest crime rate, that they are they are just uh, governmentally and socially a mess. They're full of debauchery, full of uh, of just uh, sinful culture. Um, you know, uh, unwed mothers. Uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Some of those countries have the highest percentage of churches per capita. So what's the problem? They've all, quote, heard the gospel. Some of them, you know, in those, in those uh, countries can just quote scripture to you. And yet you look around and the whole place is a hot mess. So what's the problem? They've got Jesus. What else they need? The answer is they need Yeshua to be first. But secondly, they need, they need the Torah, the Holy Torah. Because the Torah brings order. And so one of our missions in life is to be that catalyst for bringing Torah observance into the world. And one of the motivations of that is the more people that we bring to Torah, the closer we come to the days of Mashiach. Or we could just surrender and say, well, let let the world go to hell in a handbasket. I mean, that's the other extreme. But I would rather be somebody who's trying to be an agent for tikkun, which means... Repair, tikkun olam, repair of the world. That's what Yeshua wants us to be. That's what the scripture wants us to be because it says you should be called repairers of the breach, restorers of ancient paths. We're called to be builders, not terror, not people who tear things down. So <clears throat> it says Mashiach will come when it's totally deserving or totally guilty. Sanhedrin 98 a. It is in this perspective of a totally guilty generation that they state the Redeemer will come only when the governments of the world are totally heretical. Immorality and moral perversion are considered characteristics of the pre-Messianic phase from Sota 47b. Said Rabbi Yochanan, when you see a generation that goes from bad to worse, you may expect it, the coming of the Messiah, said Hedron 98a. Again, that is a... One of the ideas of the Mashiach will come when things go from bad from worse. And certainly many of us could attest that when we look around in our world, we see that happening. But there's the other idea, as I just was mentioning, that Mashiach will come when there's righteousness on the earth. And I would submit to you that as followers of the Messiah, we should want that. We should want that. We should desire that. And yet, uh, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But we have to be people who are who are encouraging observance. That's what the scripture calls us to do, anyway. Uh, just want to point something out here, something we've shared before, but it it presents itself in Midrash Tankuma Tazria uh, again, and that is is the concept of circumcision. So people would say, well, you don't have to be circumcised. You can be a Messianic Gentile. You can be a Noahide. It doesn't matter. God's okay with it. And uh, when you try to push back on that, they say, no, the this, this sages said, it's just fine. You can be no hide, uh, 
Paul's letters seem to imply you can be a messianic Gentile. Everything's okay. Then you read stuff like this, you're like, oh, wait, that's problematic. Yes, indeed. So it says, how is it that the terms, this is to Parashat, uh, this is, I'm sorry, this is Midrash Tankuma to Parashat Tazria, talking about the verse having to do with circumcising the child on the eighth day, points out how can a uh, circumcision, circumcision be referred to as a hulk, as it says in uh, Isaiah 5.14, Therefore the lower world has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth wide to those statutes, to the hulk. A hulk is a mitzvah that doesn't have, or seemingly doesn't have, any rational explanation. We do it without knowing precisely why. So it's saying here that circumcision is a hoax, a statute, for it, is set, for it is stated, then he established it for Yaakov as a statute, for Israel as an everlasting covenant. For the Holy One, blessed be he, placed his name in Israel. And what is the name and the seal that he placed in them? It is the holy name of God, Shaddai, which is very important, this word, this name Shaddai, because Shaddai and the name Memtet, which is Mashiach, have the same gematria. So when we're talking about that God has put upon us the name Shaddai, it is as if saying he's put upon us the name Memtet, which is like saying he's put upon us the name of Mashiach. All right. So it says, and what is the name and the seal that he placed in them? It is Shaddai, Shin Dalet Yud. So if you're looking to spell that in, in Ivrail, in Ivrit, it's Shin Dalet Yud. The Almighty, that is the name of God, the Almighty. That's one of his names, right? God, my God is sufficient. For he placed the letter Shin on the face, the letter Dalet on the hand, and the letter Yud on the circumcision. Well, if you don't have circumcision, then you don't have the Yud, then you don't have Shaddai. So what do you have? If you don't have Shaddai, you have Sheen and Dalit. Rabbi Monk pointed out, we, we, I shared this in an Aliyah not too long ago, that if you take the Yud away and you're left with Sheen Dalit, you have the word Shade, which means demon. So when you take away God's commandments and you say, I don't care about God's commandments, I want to stop short, and instead of bringing the Spirit of God, you bring the Spirit of a demon. Which makes sense, because for us to arbitrarily eject, erase, eradicate a commandment of God, we are now interjecting idolatry, which is the spirit of the demonic realm. So it makes sense that if we're not going to do circumcision, and let me tell you something, no man, no matter how many letters he writes or whatever, can, can nullify God's law. No man. Now, I'm alluding, of course, to Paul. Do I think that Paul nullified God's law? No. I'm making that statement because many people think that he did, but no man can do that. No man, no matter how great, a thousand rabbis can get together and nullify God's law, and guess what? They're all wrong. Take Korach. Korach had a great crowd, and they were prominent people. They were Levites, and they got together and said, Listen, Moses, we don't care what God said. We don't care what you said. We're all priests, and so, therefore, we've got together. We had an election, and we decided 
that uh, we're all priests now. What happened to them? They're now dead. And who is the priest? The same people that God said were going to be the priest. So just know if we have a theology that says, it's okay, you can be a Messianic Gentile. You don't have to be circumcised. Well, you don't have the name Shaddai on you, which means you don't have the name of Mashiach on you. I'm just saying. Someone might say, why do you want to be under the law? Well, first of all, I reject the premise of that question based on how it's meant, but let me just put it this way. I have no problem being under the law. Why? Because the law is the word of God. So if you're asking me, do I mind being under God's holy scripture? Do I mind being under God's uh, word? Do I mind being under God's spirit because the word of God is the spirit of God? If you're asking me if I mind that, I will tell you, no, of course not. I do not mind at all being under the scriptures of God. In fact, I would hope and pray that I was under and am under and living in the word of God. That is my goal every day. So, being under the law is awesome. Baruch Hashem. I would rather be obedient than disobedient. Because I have learned in life that obedience is better. If one obeys the law, you observe, you, you uh, not observe, but you don't go to jail. And being someone who... Uh, uh, ministers in a jail on a weekly basis, I'm telling you, that's not something you want, there's not some place you want to be. All right. The leper Messiah. Let me get to this, because in the time we have remaining. <clears throat> the reason I bring up the leper Messiah is because it's a very important concept within Judaism, and it's drawn from the idea of Tazria and Metzorah and the, and, the, and the Torah, that the Mashiach is is someone who is seen as a leper at the gates uh, of Rome. So there's a story in, um, in the Hasidic, uh, in Sefer Sipurim Noraim, this is a Hasidic writing, a story of uh, the Baal Shem Tov, who is with one of his disciples on one um, Arab Shabbat, and he's looking for a place to stay. And he ends up um, going to a village, finds himself going to, uh, passing through the village. His disciple is hoping that they're going to find a place to stay in the village for the Shabbat. He ends up going through the village and finding a ruins. And in the ruins, there is a, uh, a leper, a man who's an old man, an old leper, and uh, the Baal Shem Tov and the leper meet, exchange pleasantries, go into a secluded room, speak for a little bit, and then the Baal Shem Tov comes out, gets in the carriage with his Talmud, and they go on. The Talmud is trying to ask what happened. So it says in the story, on the way back home, the youth asked the Baal Shem Tov, what was the meaning of the joy which you encountered with the old leper uh, and, and th that uh, came upon both of you, this joy that you both had with each other? The Baal Shem Tov said to him, As for what happened between me and the old man in the village, as it is known, 
there is a Messiah in every generation in this world, in reality, clothed in a body. Let me say that again. There is a Messiah in every generation in this world, in reality, clothed in a body. So there's an idea that in every generation the Mashiach is present, ready to be revealed when it's his time, and he is clothed in a body, meaning that that body is not his reality. I'll let you put two and two together on that. So it says, and if the generation is worthy, he's ready to reveal himself, and if, God forbid, they are not worthy, he departs. And behold, that old man was ready to be our true Messiah, and it was his desire to enjoy my company on the Shabbat, but I foresaw that he would depart at the third meal. He would be taken up, that is, at the third meal. And so, I did, want to, I did not, he says, I did not want to endure any pain on the Sabbath day. So therefore, we didn't stay for Shabbat, which, <laughs> that he'd be taking up, like the Mashiach who made his ascension, like the Mashiach who appeared to Samson's parents and was taken up in the flames, etc., there is also, uh, akin to the leper Messiah, there is an idea that the Messiah is a, is a beggar, a poor beggar. So that is also brought up in a story here, in a sofer, in a Hasidic uh, tale sofer. Um, there's a story um, about a rabbi who, there's a beggar in town, and all, everybody mistreats the beggar, everybody uh, picks on the beggar, and so... There's a, the beggar comes to this rabbi's house for Havdalah. And uh, the children there are picking on the beggar, making fun of the beggar. And so the rabbi doesn't have a lot of kedusha, apparently. Doesn't have a lot of insight. And so um, his name is uh, rabbi, the rabbi of Strizev. And so he arose and he asked the poor man, Go please to Rabbi David Reese. He too is having a rich meal, ushering out the queen. And there you can eat and drink to your heart's desire. So he's saying, listen, go to his havdolas. Don't, you're kind of messing ours up. But he answered, my intention is not to eat and drink, but to hear the words of Torah. The rabbi of Strezev thereupon rose and drove him from his house, lest he cause him a disruption in celebrating the ushering out of the queen. Again, havdolah. While they sat at the ushering out of the queen, the rabbi of Dinov was already asleep, and his son, the rabbi of Strezev, locked the door from the outside. After they ate, the rabbi of Strzev said, Let us recite the grace after meals, for I must go to open the door. And when he went to open the door, he found that the door was locked from the inside as well. And as he tried to open it, he heard that inside the house people were discussing mysteries of the Torah. And it came to pass in the morning that he asked his father, Who was there with you? And he told him that it was the aforementioned poor beggar who was Mashiach ben David. When his son heard this, he fell to the ground and fainted. And when he came to, he instantly ran to the baker to find out whether the poor man was there, but he found him not. For a pillar of fire had come to take him from there. May the merit of the pious protect us, it says. So, just want to point this out. We have the beggar Messiah, we have leper Messiah. Now, continuing on this, this theme, we learn from the Piskit the Rabbah some, some general things about the Mashiach with respect to being a, um, a leper. It says here in the introduction 
The Messiah himself, on the other hand, must spend his entire life from the moment of his creation until the time of his advent, many centuries or even millennia, in a state of constant and acute suffering. Despised and afflicted with unhealing wounds, he sits in the gates of great Rome and winds and unwinds the bandages of his festering sores. As the Midrash expresses it, pains have adopted him. According to one of the most moving and at the same time psychologically most meaningful of all the messianic tales, God, when he created the Messiah, gave him the choice of whether or not to accept the suffering for Israel. And the Messiah answered, I accept it with joy so that not a single soul of Israel should perish. In the Zohar, it says something similar. It says in the later uh, formulation of the Zohar, the Messiah himself summons all the disease and pains and sufferings of Israel to come upon him in order thus to ease the anguish of Israel, which otherwise would be overwhelming. So therefore, what we have here is, is a suffering Messiah who takes upon himself the, the zaret, the leprosy, as it were, of all of mankind. Now remember, we learned yesterday leprosy is from Lashon Hara, but it's also from a, a host of other things. that ha- A host of other sins, bloodshed, lying, cheating, etc. That all have to do with what? That all have to do with not loving our fellow man. Which happened to be one of the great themes of the Messiah's famous, quote-unquote, Sermon on the Mount. So in his book, um, The Messiah Text, Raphael Patai points out that in all of this, the Messiah becomes heir to the suffering servant of God who figures prominently in the prophecies of Isaiah and who suffers undeservedly for the sins of others. So absolutely, the Messiah uh, is one who suffers for our sin. This, This is all Jewish concepts I'm reading here. The leper Messiah and the beggar Messiah are but variants of the same suffering Israel personified in the suffering Messiah figure. We also have something else I wanted to point out with respect to this, is there is a midrash. This actually uh, is not a midrash, I'm sorry. This actually comes from one of the stories of Nachman of Breslev back in the uh, 1700s that the Messiah is going to be such a a person, if you will, of suffering that Israel will will not even be able to recognize him. That the Messiah actually is with us in exile and is taking upon himself the suffering, the abuse, and this, as the story points out, the suffering that we heap upon him. That he's not even recognizable. Here's the statement. And also the souls of the Messiah, the soul, Slika, the soul of the Messiah is subjugated in the exile among the husks, that's us, in a place of desert and desolation where no man walks. And the storm wind spread and became strong and caused such confusion that he, the Messiah, lost all the signs which were given to him from the roots of the souls of Israel. Did you catch that? That there's so much suffering, there's so much hurt, there's so much anguish, there's so much pain that the the wind, which the judgment wind that is upon him because of us, has stripped him of all the signs 
and the roots of the souls of Israel until, it says here, it was totally impossible for them, that is Israel, to recognize him. He's been so beaten down, so to speak, that he's not recognizable. So it says, says, and therefore, once their lives and wantonness were known, it, it had become very difficult to believe in the light of the truth of Messiah. Oh, I'm sorry. That was another quote. I'm sorry. That is not related. That has to do with the false messiahs. I'm sorry. The point I wanted to make out there had to do with the fact that we're not able to recognize him because of his suffering. And what is the reality today? The reality today is that uh, Israel is not able to uh, recognize the Messiah. Why? Because he looks and has been betrayed as a Gentile Savior far removed from uh, Judaism. And to that point, somewhat, there, there's been a movement, whether it's in the Messianic realm or the Hebrew roots realm or some other realm, where people say, well, the Messiah is Jewish. And that's true, of course. But there's a little bit of a subtlety that's been left out in that. And it's not only is he Jewish, but he actually practices and practiced Judaism. That's what's left out of the equation today because it's presented almost like he's Jewish, yes, but he's a Jewish Christian. That's not it at all. So where is he? He's at the gates of Rome, as it says in one uh, in Sefer Zerubbabel. Someone asked him where where. It's a long story that's presented here, but the someone is asking the Messiah, where is it? Where is this place that we find ourselves in where you're sitting and, and wrapping bandages? And he says, this is great Rome in which I am held captive in prison until my end comes. And when I heard this, I hid my face, the man says, for a moment from him and then again looked at him and then again hid my face for I was afraid. You know, hid your face like uh, like the, the saying of the Shema. So he's at Rome. He's at the gates of Rome wrapping his bandage. We'll get into some more of this um, tomorrow as we uh, have our fourth Aliyah. We'll share some more insights from that along with the Torah portion. For now, we're going to conclude there. And uh, as I said, pick this up tomorrow. I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful, and amazing day. End of our Aliyah. Be nice to someone. Be sweet to someone. Prepare for Passover. Most importantly, prepare your heart for Passover. Uh, and we will see everybody tomorrow. Shalom, shalom. Thank you.